We join the state of the kids' graphic novel industry panel in progress with David Saylor of Scholastic, Greg Goldstein of IDW, and Terry Nantier of Paper Cuts, moderated by Calvin Reed. Some ambient noises included because this panel was recorded before a live audience. Things happened. Number one is um, we, we started the Pony program publishing in the traditional graphic novel format and realized that that was great in comic book stores and in the graphic novel sections. And then we, you know, light bulb went off and we said, well, wait a minute, let's, you know, what are kids' books look like? What, do, what kind of formats and price points? And so we really, we really reached out and, cha- and literally with Pony taking the lead, God, that sounds like an awful pun, sorry. Um, with, with, That's with, okay. With, 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 <laughs> with, given. Um, uh, with Pony leading the charge. That's there you go. Okay. Um, we, started, we really started experimenting with different formats. We looked at what some of our um, uh, you know, competitors were doing in, in the marketplace and, and how they were reaching. We, we thought about what, you know, what formats have we sold to Scholastic and why does that format work for, for a younger audience? And so we started... You know, we, we changed page counts, we changed price points, we changed sizes, we did small hardcovers, and we really, Pony really became that entryway to sort of say, oh, wait, it's, a lot of this has to do with format. If you have good, good all-ages content and you're willing to kind of reach different levels of buyers and, and, and create different formats, something which, honestly, you guys have done great with in, terms of, in terms of that, and we've, we've enjoyed watching that. Um, uh, you know, we, we really discovered some interesting things, and, and going back to Scholastic, um, you know, it's um, we're happy to incentivize people to read. So our biggest selling pony book at Scholastic came with a little pony toy with it. Which is thanks to Hasbro, they were able to make happen for us. So um, that's led to a series of other books being very successful. The Turtles, based on the uh, the animated series, um, we did we've done a couple of My Little Pet Shop uh, graphic novels. We we currently have Strawberry Shortcake. We've had the classic cartoon Ned properties, Powerpuff Girls, and Ben Ten. Um, Couple others, which Summer Jack, which is really reaching an older audience, so that's we'll leave that off the table. But it's it's really it's enabled us to see the the world of licensing as a multi-tiered, multi-age sort of, sort of deal. Great, Terry. Um, yeah, uh, we founded uh, Paper Cats in uh, 2005, actually earlier, but uh, the first books came out in 2005, and um, <clears throat> the idea was uh, we were seeing the success uh, with manga. Uh, bringing kids back to comics, ironically, um, with say Sailor Moon and other things, and how they were, you know, sitting on the floors of borders in those days and just taking it all in uh, avidly, um, and we we saw the potential for that to to be grown, uh, to uh, to uh, take this that was at the time manga was more specific audience, more niche, and to take it to a much wider audience. We started. Uh, real good statement with uh, uh, bringing new stories of Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys into comics. Uh, and we were uh, following the manga, um, you, know, uh, uh, you know, basic uh, setup of, uh, you know, the, with the style, with the uh, page count, with the smaller size, five by seven and a half. Um, and as I said in the panel earlier, some of you may have been seen that, uh, killing ourselves doing something like almost 400 pages a year uh, with four books uh, you know, a year. Um, and uh, we really had some very good success. Nancy Drew has sold over a, a half a million books. Um, Hardy Boys are pretty close as well. And from there, uh, we, we grew and took on a lot of other licenses. Uh, 
Smurfs. Uh, we, we had Lego and Jago for a while. Um, and uh, really brought uh, you know, that audience that we were looking for uh, to, to comics. Um, uh, we're very, very proud of that. And we uh, basically, that's what we're continuing and sort of expanding on not just doing licenses anymore, but a lot of more author created uh, series. Okay. David? Um, well, I guess uh, the founding of Graphics, which uh, was founded in 2005, uh, we published the first book, uh, Bone, the color edition of Bone by Jeff Smith. And for me and for Scholastic, it was sort of a very personal decision because I loved comics when I was uh, a kid, when I was 8, 9, 10, 11. I loved comics. And I stopped reading them then as sort of as a teen and an adult, and I sort of rediscovered them in my 30s and 40s. And um, I realized that my job at Scholastic, which is a very big mainstream publisher, was that our goal was to create all kinds of books for kids, you know, board books, picture books, middle grade books, young adult books, but there was a category, comics, graphic novels, that we just hadn't thought about and hadn't done. Um, and so suddenly it seemed like a very you know, obvious idea, of course. You know, here's a major children's publisher. Our job is to make books for kids, but why aren't we making comics? And so that sort of hit me in like a full force. And I thought, well, of course, Scholastic has got to be doing comics. We have to do graphic novels. And we have to do it really smartly. We have to figure out a way to publish them that um, is going to work in the marketplace. Because it was very uncertain at that time, like 10 years ago, whether they would even succeed in the marketplace. Um, and there were certain decisions that we made. For example, we published uh, Bone as a six by nine book and not in the traditional comics format. And partly that's the reason because bookshelves, it fits better on bookshelves in the bookstores. It's a very basic, simple decision, but it had a huge impact. And now most of our books are actually six by nine and are shelved with a lot of other middle grade books. Um, another strategic decision that we made was to publish Bone. Bone was a book that had been self-published by Jeff Smith in black and white, and was very successful and was one of the, he was the start of a lot of independent comics movement, you know, on his own, in his own right, he and his wife were publishers. And we happily sort of came to a point where he was, he was exhausted from publishing independently, <laughs> you know, fulfilling all the books, yeah. doing all that, it's a lot of work publishing, as you can imagine. So he was ready to hand over his baby to someone. He felt really comfortable with us, and you know, I went, I went out of my way to make sure that he would be comfortable with us. He would treat this book respectfully and, and publish it in a really nice way. Um, and I wanted to, to publish it specifically because it's a, you know, not only is it a fantastic story with wonderful artwork, but also that it, it had been embraced by librarians in particular who saw the potential of it, particularly for reaching kids, because they saw that kids were gravitating toward bone and we're buying it in huge numbers. And so that made me realize, well, of course, this is something that we need to publish and it would be a perfect fit for Scholastic. And another strategic thing that I think we did is that we talked with a lot of people. I mean, I remember talking with Calvin years ago about, you know, probably in 2003, 2004, about, well, what if we did comics? How would it work? What would it be like? What kind of, you know, what kind of book should we publish? And we talked with, um, Francoise and Lee and Art Spiegelman, you know, to see what their ideas were. Um, so we really tried to gather a lot of information to figure out what the market was and how we could sort of change it or, or publish something that could be successful and break new ground. And um, 
happily. I think it, you know, worked out well. We're now <laughs> to say the least. Six million <laughs> copies in print at this point, at least. Um, so it's what we proved, I think, with that, with our imprint, was that comics and graphic novels were viable medium for kids that they were hungry for them, that they wanted them, if they could just get a hold of them, if they could find them in bookstores, if they were available through the book fairs and the book clubs, then they would buy them and they would enjoy them. So that's kind of uh, how we started. I mean, I think it's very interesting with all of you. you I mean, you talk about properties that are sell like crazy. I mean. My Little Pony, the, the Nancy Drew. I, I, I first wrote about Bone, if I'm not mistaken, in the late 90s. He was selling tens of thousands of copies, yeah. if not hundreds of thousands of copies himself. So, yeah. and, you and you still took it to another level. I mean, the demand and, of course, the quality of the book. It's such a, a classic uh, work. Yeah, uh, interesting. I don't, he, didn't help, he didn't create it for kids. I mean, yeah, he yeah. created it for himself and yeah. for his friends. And, and we thought, well, you know, this is a huge market because kids would love this book if only they knew about it. And they just didn't know about it in many cases. Um, well, you know, I, it, Mark's not here, but I, just briefly, I mean, um, first, second started around the same time. Uh, um, one of the things uh, that I know Mark did, um, because I, I did an interview with him at the time, uh, you know, he wanted to create a a, a full-on, full-service publishing. Kids, he wanted to hit every part of the market, kids, teens, and adults. Um, but once again, key, kids' graphic novels were really key to his, his plan. Um, uh, and one, he's also managed to do um, publications like Gene Yang's American Born Chinese, uh, first graphic novel nom uh, nominated for a National Book Award, uh, fantastic seller, a million prizes, and certainly a million library prizes. Um, uh, <coughs> my next question, and I, my original plan was really to kind of get uh, first, second, and and Dave to talk about this, but I, I uh, and then we're going to jump over to IDW and paper cuts. I'm curious, though. I mean, in a traditional house. Uh, time the market was a little bit different <laughs> than it is now. Certainly wasn't a slam dunk choice. I mean, we talked. Um, you, know, well, you know, I'm enthusiastic, but you know, yeah, I don't have to. You know, I have to. I don't have to get a, a, a traditional publishing house on board. I mean, were there in-house skeptics? Uh, what you have to do to convince people that you know we need to be in this space? Um, yeah, I, mean, I would say people weren't weren't universally embracing of it in the way that they are now. It was definitely just sort of a learning curve because I think people, uh, you know, a lot of people like comics that just didn't know that it would be successful and they, they were worried about it. There was a lot of worry, you know, yeah. as I recall, sure. about, is this going to work? Are we going to sell 10 copies? Why are we doing it? Why are we putting so much money behind it? And, you know, so, but we, we really rallied the troops and, you know. Was there something out there in the market that you... About yeah, well, it. So yeah, people well, knew what, yeah. what it was and how passionate he was and how articulate he is about speaking about his book. So he, he helped convince people that this was like yeah. the right the right thing to do. Mm. He was a great spokesperson yeah. for the book and for graphic novels and, you know, in general. Um Terry? Mm -hmm. Um, and then I'm going to go to, to Greg as well. Um, what about the? Uh, I'm curious. Obviously, you're you're selling into the the traditional uh, to the book trade as well as to the comic shop market. Any specific challenges to selling in, say, to the direct market? Uh, say, I mean, I remember a time when 
it seems to be the kids' comics just that just wasn't for them. I mean, it just was. There were not. When we started out, we really didn't uh, figure to uh, have much, uh, honestly, much support from the uh, direct market comic stores. Um, and really, our, our plan all along was to, uh, to to be as successful as possible in the general trade. Um, we, uh, you know, certainly were out there because we're you know very familiar with uh, you know Jim Salgrup and I. After all, uh, you know Jim's been at it uh, with the comics market for, for decades. Develop uh, interest in what we were doing in the comic stores. But when we started, it was, uh, you know, like Jim likes to say, uh, best formula for complete failure is do, at the time, is do manga and do comics for kids. Okay. Because comic stores weren't doing manga either. Yeah, time. no, they, no, it, it was uh, outright hostility. But what's great is that that has evolved tremendously. Yes. And now uh, there's a lot of much more sophisticated comic store owners uh, who came on board a few years ago, started realizing the power of this, and started realizing that they're getting a whole new audience coming in on weekends of parents with their kids, as opposed to just being dependent on the Wednesday uh, release day of new comics. Uh, and uh, they, they, they became champions of uh, not all of the industry is long on that, but uh, the leaders are. I think that's uh, that's been a tremendous uh, evolution. Greg, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly agreeing with what Terry said. I mean, you know, kids' comics with quotation marks around it were the ugly stepchild of comic book stores, and you know, Marvel had tried a line back in the eighties, and uh, certainly the Disney, you know, Disney books, you know, which have been have been around forever. Um, have had to have a couple of different homes because they're just they're, there hasn't been enough interest at the comic book level to to support it previously. You know, one of the things I you know I only have anecdotal evidence on certainly uh, ourselves and maybe a couple of our sort of more traditional comic book publishing competitors. You know, we started to see a real interest in this around the time of the um, around the time of the recession, the economic you know sort of pullback. And I think, in anecdotally talking to retailers, they said, you know, obviously they're trying to survive, and there's nothing, you know, there's nothing like fighting for your life that says, okay, maybe all the things, you know, maybe ordering 50 more copies of Batman or 30 Days of Night is not the answer. And and so, I, you know, again, anecdotally, without having a lot of good good hard evidence on this, it feels like the retailers were willing to sort of start taking a little bit more of a of an experimental position in terms of, of, of trying things. I, I will say again, going back to Pony, and, and again, it's not our only kids book, but it's certainly the, the one that was a you know, phenomenon. But I will say with Pony, what, what we found was in addition to a small audience of bronies, which you yes. know, sort of, you know, the, the adult male collector yeah. of, of My Little Pony, it's a smart show and a smart, I mean, obviously, so not very objectively, I think it's a smart comic, but um, but what, what that happened, what basically is, you, you have families who, you know, maybe the, um, the, the teenage boy is into comic books and, and the family's going into the comic book store, somebody's going in to get something, and the, and the, the girl, the sister's not being serviced in any way by the, by the market because it's a male-dominated market, it's an adult-dominated market at the time, and, then, and Pony opened that, that door up. 
And so now, and we, we've talked to retailers, and, and over and over again, it, it's become so. Okay, now you know somebody's got you, you've got something for you, you've got something for um, girls as well as boys. And, and of course, the whole let's face it, pop culture has now shifted to the point where we're obviously finally seeing female protagonists take a just giant leap forward in the culture. So now we're actually seeing, you know, we're actually seeing, you know, um, just like we have boy nerds, we have girl nerds, we have girls going into comic book stores looking for superhero titles that are appropriate, and you know, we have, uh, you know, we have the, the leading pop culture movie of our time, Star Wars, as a as a female lead. And we're seeing, you know, we see it. Um, uh, we hear it from the retailers. We see it in what people are ordering from us. You know, I was with Mattel last night on the toy side, and the the DC um, the DC. Um, Super heroine series, which I'm sorry, the name's escaping yeah, me. DC right. Superhero Girls. Superhero yeah. Girls, phenomenon. Yeah, yeah it's Absolute phenomenon. And yeah. we're, we're seeing that. So we're seeing what, what's happening culturally. So we're, we're, we're bending ages and gender simultaneously, which is an unbelievable opportunity for this business. Um, I, 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 I definitely agree on the manga end of it. I think manga has, was critical in the American market for, particularly in the book trade, I think it, well, it really, the book trade really sustained it. Um, uh, but so much of the early years of manga was directed at girls, at girl readers, and bringing girls into comics and really, you know, serving that market that had kind of been neglected on the comic side. But I'm also curious to, uh, to hear from the, uh, the three of you, um, what do you think was the impact of Free Comic Book Day? Has it had an impact? I mean, it, 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 is it a rallying point in any way? To, how do you use it? Uh, well, we've done a, a few a few issues for Free Comics Day, and I, I I'm not sure if I've been able to tell whether yeah. it, mm. if it's a bump or, or, I mean, I think it's a good thing, and I'm yeah. happy to participate. I just don't know that if I've been able to calculate yeah. Like yeah. Okay. what it adds up to in terms yeah, of Yeah, I'm just curious how it figures in, if at all. Yeah. I think it helps, certainly. Mm -hmm. I have not seen the bump in sales. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we do it, you know. Okay, all right. <laughs> I, we, we, I, I've seen, you know, I've seen minor bumps. We've used it for launches, um, and we've used it for promotional purposes. And the following statement is going to get me in trouble with the, the sort of the founder of Free Comic Book Day, who I saw earlier today. So I know he's here at the thing. I think Free Comic Book Day is half of a formula. Because you, you've got millions of comic books being given away on one day of the year. And we have and the other half of the formula is how do you get them back? What promotion or what couponing or what gifted, what subscription, what would get, what can you get them in every, I don't know if I have retailers in the room, but I, what can you get to get them back every month to come in and okay, is it, you know, do we, do we have a dollar day? Do we have, I, and I've talked to Diamond, which is obviously responsible for the distribution of of a free comic book day. I, there's there's a piece of this formula that we haven't we, we haven't addressed yet to, to to convert. You know, again, I see these giant lines on on that first Saturday, Absolutely. and then the following Saturday it's back to normal. <laughs> so that's are there are do we have retailers in the audience? Huh? Yeah. Library. Library. Well, yeah, well, well that was going to be. Have been taking these, right? Uh, any of you here? If I may, yeah, we, we've been taking uh, free comic book day uh, comics and. Yeah, we've, we've sent some to some librarians yeah. that have asked for That's great. That's, that's mm -hmm. a, a truly uh, outreach promotional uh, mm -hmm. opportunity. Uh, well, can we talk about libraries too? Uh, how how do libraries fit into your to your market? Okay. Well, I, mean, oh, I want all of you to. <laughs> I want all of you to talk <laughs> about yeah, it. Libraries are a huge part of the children's book market in general. Librarians yeah. are 
terms for getting the word out about books and introducing uh, kids to books. So obviously Scholastic is very invested in marketing and to encourage librarians to know our books, to share them with kids. We always attend ALA. We do a lot of big events at ALA. It's essential for us. Uh, but that's true of all our publishing. Um, librarians are, are the most passionate people about books. And when they're behind something and they believe in a book, they let everyone know, which is incredible. And they'll share it with, you know, and talk about it. And it's the best word of mouth you can possibly have. So uh, I've never really uh, dwelled on this very much, but I come from two generations of librarians. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, I, I love my parents, I love my grandparents, I love librarians. <laughs> cracking open books and not being afraid of them. Uh, and so we love going to the library shows. Uh, ALA, Midwinter, PLA, we're going to a lot of them uh, because it is, you guys are so important in, in, uh, in getting a buzz out uh, as part of uh, you know, the formula. Uh, I think you were, uh, you know, as, as a whole, uh, very instrumental in our great launch that we had with Lunchwitch last year. Uh, which is a really fun, you know, this incompetent witch, um, and uh, you know, just a fun book. And I, I know that the buzz that we got through the librarians uh, market was 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 quite instrumental uh, on that. So, uh, so yeah, the library market is uh, very important. Uh, outsized to say share of sales uh, in you know influence. Yeah, you know, um, obviously the. The program title is Kids Graphic Novels, but we, we feel like we've cracked the um, library code for us with, with March, which is uh, uh, really, you know, it's a, it's a young adult and up title. Um, a civil rights story, Congressman John Lewis told in the first person by the congressman and his collaborators. Um, and the volume we've seen at the library level um, has been, it's given what our previous books, including some well-known brands, he, the, the volume is astonishing, and, and um, March is published by our Top Shelf imprint. Top Shelf was an independent company that we purchased um, two years ago, and uh, um, it's it's really been interesting because the congressman himself, who's here at the convention, by the way, um, uh, he really he really believes his ability to educate uh, you know new generations. You know, th those of us that are of a certain age that grew up with the, you know, even these kids with the civil rights movement, it doesn't, it feels like it was recent, but when, you, when you're teaching that subject to little kids, it feels, to them it's ancient history. And so, the, the congressman feels very strongly that this is a way of reaching, of reaching out to, you know, to young, um, you know, we've got some, definitely some middle-aged, uh, middle-aged, middle school, sorry. Um, you got some middle-aged readers too, and some middle-aged publishers. And, but we've got some, you know, we've definitely got some middle schools on board with um, with March. We, you know, we've had librarians promoting it to um, to younger audiences, um, and it's really, uh, you know, again, the congressman believes this is his, his legacy. Is this format helps educate young people about what about what March is all about, and the librarians have been unbelievably supportive. 
as I am, um, from what I understand, also um, you're, you're getting um, adoptions, not uh, from higher education down to middle school as right. well. Right. Uh, you, even in New York City, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. No, you're you're not mistaken. Yeah. The big announcement we you know we made a few months ago was the fact that the New York public schools are, um, I guess they don't really call it mandatory reading, but it's the next best mm-hmm. thing. It's basically on the on the list of books that should be taught at the eighth grade level, and New York City public schools are the largest public school system in the country. So it's a, I mean, it was a major, that was a major coup, yeah. certainly. So some questions from the audience. You got it. <laughs> so is there a difference in the number of panels and the configuration of the panels for a picture book told in graphic novel format as opposed to just graphic novel? Um, not particularly. I mean, I think that picture books just tend to be simpler with fewer words. Um, and then it, they can get more complicated as the age group goes up. Okay. I, I mean, from our perspective, we try and keep, particularly, I, you'll see it in the Disney books that we publish. Um, you know, we try and keep the storytelling extremely clean and, and, and you know, easy to follow, but at the same time, fun so that some adult, you know, Disney, has, Disney obviously has a lot of adult collectors, but we want, and we want the stories to be fun, and that was the, you know, the history of, um, of Disney comics is, is rich with some of the greatest storytelling of, of all time, and, and but at the same time keeping it at a level so that everyone can appreciate it. It's it's not easy, but it but it's it's what we strive to do. Well, picture books are primarily one picture per page with uh, with some well placed text, uh, and uh, comics are uh, it's a lot more dense certainly per page. You got a number of panels uh, on on each page. You got the balloons. Books. Uh, there is a continuity that you need to know and understand, which inherently a kid will, given the opportunity. Uh, someone who doesn't grow up with comics will have a hard time later actually assimilating how do I read this. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a very different uh, form of communication. Um, so, you know, you have, to, you have to know how to narrate. There are things like that in, in picture books, of course. Like what's going what's to be your picture? How, how is that going to communicate? But it's very, it is a very different art form uh, to create comics. And, uh, I don't think I was clear with my question. I understand that picture books are different than picture books told in graphic novel form. I'm asking, take for example, first seconds, Griffins aren't that great. It's a picture book, but it's told in graphic novel form. So I was just curious when you take a picture book and you put it in graphic novel form, is that different? Hasn't there been some hybridization, some yeah, influence yeah. on the picture book market yeah, or yeah. buy comics? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. There's many more picture books that have, that have paneling and have speech balloons, and it's it become very common these days to have that in the picture book. Yeah. I, I, you know, Terry, I thought you made, an, you made an excellent point. You know, the, the, one of the importance for kids' comics, if we also publish um, comics for an older audience, is we don't, if a kid doesn't pick up a comic book at a, at a young enough age, it is its own language, and, it, and it's something we, we discover all the time. And so, it, not only is there no interest, but the ability to sort of, decipher is probably too strong a word, but the, but the ability to really sort of understand what that language means, change, you know, just like they say for any language, you know, you teach a, teach a little kid uh, a second language, you're going to be way more successful and it's going to be an easier process than if they're older. Another question. Uh, 
over there and then I'll come back to you. Kids technology and comics. Yep. Anybody, uh, anybody, anybody want to take I'll, that? I'll take. I'll take. I'll take a piece of that. I mean, we, we're, you know, our our comics have been pretty successful digitally. There's there's been a little bit of a flatlining in the last couple of years. It was it was a giant growth was e-publishing and. And again, we you know we're probably seeing the same percentages and the same sort of you know no, nothing is really rattling the windows anymore for us in that area. And, and from what I understand from the more traditional comic book publishers like like DC and, and what have you, they're not they're seeing the same issue. The the problem is just like the comic book store physically, there's a little bit of a there, there's a little bit of sort of specialization or even ghettoization of sort of com like you have to go to a comic book app and you have to. You, you have to really sort of find your way through that to find whether it's a kid's comic or a, a comic for, for an older group. So um, I know we're reaching, um, you know, I certainly know we're, we're reaching some, uh, some younger uh, viewers on the apps. My, my guess is it's a similar proportion to what we're seeing the growth in the physical side, but, but that's a guess. Yeah, I mean, we, we have all of our comics are available as e-books. We're, uh, in terms of getting the word out, we're, we're constantly working at uh, finding ways uh, to, to engage uh, kids and, and their parents uh, to, uh, to, to, to be informed of what's available. Uh, so there's that. Um, but uh, beyond that, uh, I'm personally a little skeptical about apps going much farther than being good at, at presenting comics well for you know, the devices, such as, say, Comixology, uh, because uh, so far uh, they've been mostly starting to go to the animation area. And now we're no longer really talking about comics, we're talking about animation, uh, which is another form of communication. You know, that said, and, and I agree, we have, a, we have a handful of motion comics with our partner, Made Fire, that are available through Apple TV and some other, so they're, they're very nice, I mean, I think they're, they're, they're very nicely done. But I, one of the things that's nice about, particularly on an iPad, is it, that device really feels like it was made for reading a comic book, and it solves some of the comic book language problems that we were talking about a second ago, because you're just you're really sliding from from panel to panel, and really the storytelling is is um, is more fluid and a little bit easier from from that perspective. And certainly, the illumination. <laughs> one of the issues I have with the colorists that work for us, they color on their computer monitor, and then we print the books, and they wonder why the printed books. Don't look. Don't have that same brightness and that same quality. It's because when you're looking on a luminated screen, but when that problem is solved when you're, you know, looking on an iPad or an iPhone or another device like that. Just got right here, and then I'll come back to you.
Well, it seems like we, the, the, the American market has been learning a few things from the Japanese market. Anybody want to take it on? Uh, well, I, I would say <laughs> it may, may not be a popular thing to say, but uh, um, manga is very mass-produced. Okay. Uh, it's, it's teams of artists uh, working on a very established style, uh, you know, Differences, you know, and, and it's a great example. Is you know, manga is very different than what's being done here, but also what's being done here is very different than what's uh, been done in Europe, where you do have some, you know, where certainly from an art standpoint, as well as a storytelling, where they, um, you know, particularly in France and Italy and Spain, you just have some have some books that are a labor of love artistically, where clearly that 48 pages was a struggle for that artist to get out that that year, and that's you know that. Four pages a month. So I mean, I think you know, you sort of different. You have different societies with different with cultural differences. I mean, obviously, we, we you know we had an explosion in manga here, and then that we, we pulled back we, for whatever reason. It reached the audience that it was going to reach, and you know, it's been a little bit of a resurgence. Uh, Calvin, you'd know better than I would, but I, I, I doubt we're at the peak again or, or near it. I don't think it's at the peak, but they are on a growth curve again. Right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. 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 
manga is in recovery. I mean, at, at, at one point, uh, I think about two-thirds of all of the book format comics being sold were manga at one point. So it's, it's not like that now, uh, but it's certainly on a growth curve again. You know, we're running out of time. I'd just like to just throw out very quickly, where do we see this market going? And can, uh, do you want to address that? What do we need? What do you, what do you think you need to kind of push your sales and, and your reach to another level? I think for um, Scholastic, uh, the market is just going to continue to grow. And, but what we need is um, more talent. We need to attract more talent. And we just uh, started a competition, an online sort of contest that anyone can enter who's, been, who's unpublished and doesn't have a contract with another publisher. We just announced it uh, today at Comic-Con. And it's open to anyone in the US 18 years or older. Um, so I'm trying to reach out to the people who feel like publishing is sort of this you know, place in New York that no one knows anything about, and where they travel around the country looking for new talent uh, to publish books with graphics. I think we need more diversity in the kinds of books that we're publishing, and we're always looking for that. Um, and I think the future is bright and, and rosy, is what I would say. Yeah, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, yeah. we're in a golden age, actually, I think, of, of comics, and of kids' comics in particular. I think there's an amazing work You want to wrap it up? Uh, sure. Sure. Um, uh, I, I agree. Agree with my colleagues here, um, and and we'll we'll add that you know in addition, it's very rosy. The challenge we look at is we know we can sell My Little Pony because we have a usually popular animated series. We know we can sell Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, we've done some creator-driven titles that don't have that kind of uh, don't have that kind of support out there. So the challenge for us is really marketing, the, the hand selling through the independent booksellers, but but the other, you know, being able to reach out and getting a Barnes and Noble and a um, and an Amazon to you know commit is, is going to cost promotional dollars and, and some other things. Um, when we acquired Top Shelf, we, we acquired a great kid series called Johnny Boo, but if if we can't get the word out and and you know do sampling, we talked about free comp book day earlier. We did Motorcycle Samurai, another creator-driven um, kids' book, and it's fun. It's just, I mean, it's, it's all ages. It's not kids. 
typically, but it's all ages, and it's fun, and it's great, and we, we saw a little bit of interest, but, but again, getting the word out on, on some of these great new talents and great new titles is the challenge as publishers we all, we all face. Well, I'm afraid we can't take any more questions, but um, uh, you, can, you can thank the panel. Uh, they've done a great job. They're publishing great books, and thanks to you for coming out. Uh, and as I always like to say, uh, thanks so much for coming out and you know, read more comics. <laughs>